on December 21, 2006, National Polygamy Advocate Mark Henkel was interviewed by Liz Gahelf for the Journal Tribune. Welcome to the Journal Tribune. If you know your party's three-digit extension, please dial it now. For a company directory, press 9. For the operator, press 0. Please hold. Good afternoon, Journal Tribune. Let me help you. Yes, Liz, got help, please. Oh, just please. Hello, this is Liz. Yes, Liz, this is Mark Henkel with TruthBearer.org. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, someone using your name has been requesting an interview with us, and I just wanted to see if that was you. That was me, yeah. It, it was, okay. Well, we needed to confirm that it really was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, GWI.net yes. email address, yeah. Right, and, so. and you didn't provide a phone number either. I didn't. No. Oh. I had to look it up and everything. Well, that was rude of me, huh? Well, I, I mean, personally, okay. It's just a matter of, you could have been anybody. <laughs> right, yeah. At that point. Well, uh, just want to let you know that, as we do with all media, and if we need to talk at another time, that's fine. Uh, but uh, this is being recorded, and I just wanted you to know that and understand it up front before we even said anything. Okay. And make sure that you accepted that. Yeah. Oh, okay, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> How may it be of help to you? Okay. Um, well, wanted to do an interview with you. Okay. Um, I am busy at the moment. Let me see. What what is the date? What day are we at? Today, today is Tuesday, okay. the nineteenth. Okay. Um, if you want to set up a time, Thursday. Okay. So for just a standard telephone interview. Yeah. Yeah. That should be okay. I've got some appointments, but uh, what what time frame would you be needing? Okay. Um. Really, any time, 10 o'clock or later. After 10 in the morning? Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. After 10. Uh, do you do in-person interviews? I usually don't. Okay. Uh, especially given the fact how uh, local you are. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, did you see the Portland Press Herald I did, yeah. uh, report? Okay, mm -hmm. so you're aware of that. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, privacy is uh, of paramount a point uh, importance here. Um, let's see here. How long would you need? Oh. I wouldn't guess it would be more than half an hour. Okay. Probably, probably I mean, I've, I mean, I have gone, you know, hour, hour and fifteen. I mean, I have done lengthy interviews. There's, there's a lot of uh, somebody used the word layers. I mean, there's just a lot of comprehensive insight to understand. Okay. Um, but but of course that just might be also an awful lot of information to process for a report. What is the focus of your report? Just me? I mean, am I the target, or is it the uh, the, the yeah. movement itself? Because yeah. I, 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 I'd rather talk about rhetoric and principles than, you know, any kind of hero worship or anything, or anti-hero worship, whichever <laughs> the case may be. Uh, you know, public enemy number one or... Uh, yeah, well, you know. well, we do a religion, a religion column every, every Saturday. Okay. Yeah, and so I was sort of interested in, in the angle of... Um, your religious beliefs certainly yeah. oh absolutely oh yeah. yeah rhetoric and angle and actually the whole Christian thing is, is right. totally yeah. applicable um, well that that's what I'm saying is it, is it for a religious direction is it for you know uh, the gay marriage marriage debate and all that and the polygamy rights and all that or uh, or you really don't know at this point you wanted to see how we turned out 
I would say it's mostly mostly the religious angle, yeah. Okay, and that's fine. Uh, in fact, actually, I quite enjoy that discussion. Good, good. <laughs> Very much so. Um, but uh, it would probably be easier to do a phone interview. Uh, let's see if I'm going to do that. Then it's, uh, actually, you said 10 o'clock? Yeah. Okay, uh, as long as we're finished before 11.30. Okay. Well, maybe more like 11.15 or so. Between 11.15 and 11.30, I'm definitely going to need to be complete by that point. Um, that that should work for me on Thursday the 21st. Okay, great. Thursday, 10.21. 10 a.m. Yeah, great. And um, you mentioned the whole privacy thing. Is there a... Would you be... Because usually we have a photographer take a picture. Um... Do you have a photo you can email us? Um, well, you don't have access to the Associated Press photo that the, uh, uh, what was that they used, that the Press Herald used? Um, I'm not sure. I can look into it. I mean, if you have a, uh, an Associated Press subscription or whatever, you know, I mean, do you use their wire service? We do, yeah. You do? Okay. Uh, because the, the photo first appeared in, uh, an AP article from Jennifer Dobner back in November. Mm-hmm. If that matters, I mean, if that's how you need to find where she did where the report, the photo came from, and the photo was by Joel Page. But that's all they did. They, they, the Press Herald also wanted a photo of me as well, and I uh, really would rather not, uh, you know, do that. But I mean, I, they still went with the AP picture and said, okay, yeah. that would definitely that would be my preference. The, uh, the AP picture? If anything, yes. I mean, if it has to be. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. I mean, frankly, I'd rather even go without a picture, but especially given how neighborhood close you are. Right. <laughs> right. You know. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, well, I can, I can discuss that with my editor, but, um, mm-hmm. okay. So, 10 o'clock on Thursday. Right. And you'll know whether you're able to get that by then, by anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there a phone number yes. that I can call you at? Certainly, it's confidential, okay. but it's... All right. And you know my name and the organization, the website, and all that? Yeah, I do. Okay. Okay, great. All right, so then Thursday mm-hmm. at 10 o'clock? You want me to call you? Um... I'm, I'm happy to, that's fine. I I, I'll, that, be, I'll be on the dot. Okay, that's fine, because I will be here, so... <laughs> Whether I like it or not. So, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, it's okay. going to come 10 on Thursday. Okay, so are you Liz or Elizabeth? Liz. Okay, Liz. Well, I look forward to speaking with you on Thursday at 10 o'clock. Great. Thanks. Right, you, thanks. You take care. You too. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Good morning, TweetPair.org. Hi, is this Mark? Yes, it is. Hi, Mark. This is Liz with the Journal. Super. Hi, how are you? I'm doing very well. And yourself? Good. Super. Excellent. So we're ready for this recorded interview. Okay, great. Um, well, my first thing is, um, I haven't got a chance to look for the picture. The AP? Yeah, yeah. so if we can't access it, do you, would you have one you could email us? Um, well, I can send you to, uh, to the page. I mean, I could send you, I was, uh, for example, it was in USA Today. Okay. Online, so you could just right-click from there. Okay. Um, uh, assuming that that's, um... I mean, that's web-ready. I don't know if that's print-ready. 
All right. Yeah, um, I can check it. Check it. But Sorry. basically, search. You know, it, it should be fairly easy. Uh, search, basically, uh, plus Henkel, uh, plus Polygamy, plus USA Today, or something like that. Okay. Um, and it was in there. It was in MSNBC. It was in Fox. Uh, basically, it was the Associated Press of November 24. Jennifer Dobner. Okay. Um, had the picture of that. And it was also in Friday's uh, online version of of uh, maintoday.com, which is, of course, the Press Herald. Okay. That was a less quality, it appeared, though. Was it? It, it seemed to be. Okay. Um, but, I mean, if you're with the Associated Press, then all you need to do is find Jennifer Dobner's article on November 24. Okay. She's an Associated Press writer. All right. That's what I'm saying. Do you, uh, Would that make that easy for you, or you just couldn't find it otherwise? Um, I'm not sure if he even had time to do it yet. So, yeah, I'm not the one who would be searching for it. So, sure. Uh, yeah, I can't really answer right. the question. And the, uh, and the photographer's name is Joel Page. Okay. Uh, I know, for example, USA Today gave that photographer the credit. Okay. Well, okay, I'll look into it then, and I'll... And, and I'm glad to be of help, you know, okay. even okay. even beyond that. That's fine. But I'm just trying to direct you to where you okay. can find it most okay. easily for you. Well, I'll, I'll look into that. Sure. Week, and then I'll let you know. What Great. <laughs> okay, well... Like I said before, um, interviewing you for our religion column, which runs every Saturday, and so I'm interested um, in the in your Christian roots of your beliefs in polygamy. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, first of all, what what religion are you? Christian. I mean, evangelical. Okay. Uh, the I mean, a full-blown born-again. Okay. Um, what, when you know, did you become born-again? Uh, 91. Okay. And what were you raised? Actually, I was, uh, I was raised... Um, I went to Lexington Christian Academy for my junior high years, 7, 8, and 9. Okay. And then I ended up going to a uh, public high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Did as uh, happens to uh, many children raised in in West Christian Academy. I think was uh, primarily Baptist, okay. um, and uh, I did as many teenagers often do, raised as Christian. Went into a a secular life for a while, uh, just just as happens to all of us. And then uh, by '91, uh, had some uh, great difficulties and uh, basically was humbled. Uh, and committed my life to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, September 1st, 1991. Okay. And was uh, born again. All right. Um, how, long have you had a, how long have you had your beliefs in polygamy that you currently have? 93, uh, I would say, okay. that uh, that first began. Um. Yeah, this uh, the whole process of this, I guess, goes back to uh, June twenty June twenty sixth, nineteen ninety three. Okay, and could you explain what happened on June twenty sixth, nineteen ninety three? Well, uh, no, it's just it's a uh, um, when the paradigm of the stand, and I was, you know, we were. We, we were, I mean, I was a happily married uh, Christian man, and, uh, and, I, and I, of course, am <laughs> very happily married. 
That's good. Oh, yes, very, very, very happy. And uh, the paradigm that all conservative evangelical Christians, churches preach, whether it's Baptist or Pentecostal, uh, is primarily sola scriptura. I don't know if you're familiar with that phrase or not. No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, it means solely scripture. Did you spell that? S-O-L-A, it's Latin. Okay, S-O-L-A. Scriptura, scripture, but it's an A at the end. Okay. Sola Scriptura. That's the Reformation's battle cry. Are you familiar with, with the Reformation? Um, vaguely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, are, are you a religion writer yourself? I'm not, no. You're not, okay. Well, there's a lot of education going on here, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there is. Feel free to explain everything. <laughs> I'm sorry? Feel free to explain everything. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want to get it right, so. Okay. <laughs> well, you've heard of Martin Luther. Yes. Okay. You know, and you know there's Protestantism and Catholicism. Right. Oh, yes, I do know that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, the Reformation was uh, Protestants, which is protesting, that's where the word comes from, Protestants, those who are protesting, uh, the man-made doctrines of the Catholic institution. Okay. And the battle cry that, that led to the Reformation and the beginning of Protestantism was sola scriptura, that scripture, solely scripture, only scripture is the creator of Christian doctrine, not traditions and uh, dictates of the Catholic institution as they decide to create. Okay, so it's based on scripture only. Sola, solely. You know, that's where the word sola, you know, solely. Okay. Right? right? Solely scripture, only scripture. And so that was the Reformation's battle cry. So in these conservative evangelical churches uh, that, and I was going, and of course I'm getting the preaching too, I still don't believe what, don't believe just because the preacher tells you you're supposed to study the word of God yourself. That's the, that's the paradigm that is evangelical Christianity. Study the word of God, read the scriptures yourself. Let the word of God teach you. Not don't believe just because a man tells you something, it doesn't matter. It's what God's word says. That's what matters. Okay. That's and you're probably now familiar with that as a paradigm, right? Right. right. Okay. That's that's standard preaching in all conservative evangelical churches. Okay. Okay. And that that's born out of the Protestantism of the Reformation. Okay. Is that doctrine is based on the scripture, not what man makes up. Okay. So we're taught to do this, so that's exactly what I did. I studied the scripture. I went deep into it. I let the scripture teach it by itself for itself. Okay. And when you do that, and this is this is not non this is not newbie Christians. This is high level. Read the Bible every single day. Study it. Cross reference the different things, and really deeply investigate. Not just somebody who just happens to have a dust collector on their coffee table. Okay, gotcha. Okay. And when you do a deep study, there's a paradox that can, not a paradox, a, a profound contradiction, a dichotomy that hits you smack in the face over and over and over again. And that is we are told by man that more than one wife is adultery. But then all of a sudden, the heroes of the faith, Abraham who is the father of the faith, had three wives. Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel, were born of four wives. Uh -huh. He had four wives. Okay. So ultimately, anti-polygamy is anti-Israel. You start studying, the, how could this be? This, this becomes a, 
a question for research. How is it fundamentally possible for Abraham to have three wives, for, uh, for Israel to have four wives, for David to have at least eight named, named known wives in the Bible, for Moses to have two wives, for Jesus in Matthew 25 to describe himself in a parable, not literal, but in a parable as coming to marry five of the ten virgins. How could the Lord God himself describe himself as a polygamist in Jeremiah 3 and Ezekiel 23? And you keep being confronted with this contradiction. So you, just heard, you just saw it over and over and over. Any serious Christian Bible student is confronted with that contradiction. You, you're, 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 you can't escape it. Okay, yeah. You can't. Right, it's, it's there. It's way, and it's overwhelming. There are dozens of polygamists in the Bible. Dozens. This isn't a lone excuse, lone one or two. And not just dozens, but many of the greatest heroes we revere had more than one wife. Okay. So this, this, and this, this is a common experience for evangelical Christians across the country. Mm-hmm. So was this kind of eye-opening to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so here's what happens, is that you study deep, and you come to realize that the Scripture was not written in English. Okay. We, we understand that, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament in Greek. Mm-hmm. Most of us are not, you know, uh, multi-language scholars. Right. But there is a tool, a wonderful tool, available for any layperson to use, and it's very easy. And it's called Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. What is it called? Strong's. It's a man named Strong. Okay. It's possessive. Strong's Exhaustive, because he exhausted everything, con- Concordance of the Bible. And it's a phenomenal resource. There are, first to understand, there's two approaches to translating the Bible. Uh-huh. There's what's called word for word versus thought for thought. Okay. Thought for thought is more conceptual and therefore subject to the bias of the translator. Right? So therefore, it's not as reliable and doesn't allow you to really get back to the original scriptures. And remember, we're coming from the paradigm, sola scriptura. So the sola scriptura premise is we want to know what the actual scripture said, not what our mistranslation would say. Right. Okay? Yeah. So again, we're going back in serious study. So we use that. Strong's Exhaustion Accordance does a word-for-word because the King James Version, although it has definitely got its own imperfections as well, it's not a perfect translation, so I don't want to be like I'm a KJV-only type thing. However, it, it is the doorway that Strong's uses. Okay. Okay? So every, you can pick a word, and then go to and and Strong's has assigned that word a number. So then you can go to Strong's, find that number, and it will tell you every single time, it will show you, for example, the word adultery. Uh-huh. Okay? In, the, in its Hebrew dictionary, it will call it number 5003. And you will look up that number, and it will show you what the Hebrew word was, what it meant, and how many times that word appeared in every verse it appeared throughout the Bible, in the KJV's version. Okay. Okay? So, so what you do is you look up, thou shalt not commit adultery. You see the word adultery. What was adultery in the Hebrew? Because that's really what we want to know, right? Right, right. So we use Strong's, and Strong's tells us that the word for adultery in Exodus 20, verse 14 of the Seventh Commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, the word is na'af, N-A, backward apostrophe, A-P-H. Okay. And the definition of that Hebrew word is woman who breaks wedlock. Oh, so not man, woman. A man commits adultery 
when he causes a woman to break wedlock. Okay. So okay. The, that's so if you looking at this literally, the definition of adultery is a woman breaking wedlock. Exactly. Okay. So that's how when a man marries a second woman, as long as she is not another man's wife, no wedlock is being broken, so no adultery occurs. Okay. Purely logic. Okay. It absolutely, suddenly it makes sense. Now, I understand in our egalitarian uh, society, you know, that some may not like that. But understand, we're talking about what the actual scripture says. And if, and if we're coming from a paradigm that says we will believe the scripture because the scripture says it, then understand that's what we're looking for. Okay. You follow me? I do. We're surrendering ourselves to, if the scripture said it, that's it. Not, not my beliefs about it. Okay. And, and I get to the difference between religious values and political values later, okay? But I understand, we're talking about Christian evangelicals seeing this. Interestingly enough, only 22 verses later, after the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, 22 verses later, in the next chapter, Exodus 21.10, it says, if he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. So suddenly, the very next chapter of Exodus, after the Ten Commandments are given, is automatically giving a regulation of how to deal with polygamy. Okay. Do you see that? Do you see how that's a regulation of polygamy? No, I do, yeah. You know, basically, you've got to be equal to the wives. Right. And, and, which is, of course, a good thing. Right. And then, the, in, in a book later, the, of the five books that Moses wrote, in Deuteronomy 21.15, the very first part, part of the verse says, if a man have two wives. Now it actually says that. And, and it actually gives another regulation of a man if he has two wives. Now, the thing to understand is that as Christians, we are under the New Covenant. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with the, the law, Old Testament, and New Testament theology argument and all that? Shaky, but... Okay. Well, the law was given in the Old Testament, and it was... God's people had to obey every single... Uh, all, all the commands, and it was, it was a very rigorous, uh, very rigid... Uh, if you didn't keep the Sabbath, for example, you'd be stoned to death. Okay. Uh, things like that. Okay. Then Christ came, and we are free from what's called the curse of the law. Man can't make himself righteous by the law, and that's what God was showing us by having us under that period of being under the law. Okay. Okay? But, but now, uh, we have uh, what's called, we're now under the new covenant, saved by the faith of Jesus Christ. Okay. And hit the salvation through his blood shed on the cross. Okay. And that, you know, the two great commandments now is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is lightning, this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Those are the two great commandments that, now from Jesus. Okay. So it's not a bunch of uh, million little fiddly bit laws that you have to obey every single one because man can't possibly keep all the law. And that was, that was the lesson for us, and Christ freed us from being that under the law. The lesson from this, as it applies to polygamy, and this is why we are often r- falsely accused by anti-polygamists as if that's just Old Testament and you're trying to be under the law. We're not saying that at all. Okay, what are you saying? We are saying that... By, we are no longer under the law, but by the law we know what is sin. And if polygamy was a sin, it would not have been regulated in the law. Okay. You follow that? Yeah. Okay, it's the same reason why many Christians oppose the biological impossibility of same-sex marriage. Right. You know, it's the, it's the same fundamental reason. 
okay, the, that by the law we know it's a sin. Okay. But it's not an issue of keeping the law, but by the law we know what is sin. So, just as all other New Covenant Christians. Interestingly enough, also to, uh, on a side note, to answer uh, those who falsely try to say, oh, polygamy, that's just an Old Testament thing. That's not, we're in the New Testament now. Okay. Anybody who says that, isn't it, it, it is a major hypocrisy that they will say that and then turn around and say Adam and Eve is the model for marriage. Because where do you suppose Adam and Eve came from? The Old Testament. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the first. That's the, that's the beginning. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I can go into a, a theological discussion about that as well, mm-hmm. uh, because we are in a uh, we're under the New Testament marriage model of Ephesians five twenty two to twenty five, which is that uh, the model of Christ and His churches. So husbands are supposed to be as loving and caring as Christ was for the churches. He loved so much, he didn't beat and tyrannical and, and oppress women or oppress the churches. Instead, he gave himself so much that he loved and went to the cross. That's the kind of model that husbands are to have, a, a love for women. That, that kind of a caring, giving, laying down their life kind of givingness. So that's the marriage model, not the... Not the uh, there's also a First uh, Corinthians chapter that talks about that, saying that you know we're no longer after the first Adam who is of the flesh, but after the second Adam which is Christ of, after the Spirit. So husbands should be Christ-like. Like, please make sure you say like. <laughs> this is not to suggest men are saviors; they aren't. Right. Okay. <laughs> Christ-like in their. Actions. He's the, he's the model for their behavior. Okay. The 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 marriage model is Ephesians five twenty two to twenty five of Christ and His churches. Now, those who will try to say it only says church, not churches, play a game with singular and plural. But Jesus in Matthew 25 described himself coming, betrothed to ten versions, five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. The five foolish basically, you know, went into sin, you know, and weren't, weren't, you know, weren't ready for when he arrived, whereas the five wise were. So that's a, that's a, it's a parable for the second coming of Christ. And clearly, we know that Christ is coming to marry his churches. So it is a plural. Okay. But the marriage model is that of, the relationship of marriage is that of Christ and his churches. And so therefore, the, this is not a man being a, ty- a tyrant or a chest pounder or you know, uh, an abuser but a, or a collector of women, but rather quite the opposite, a, a caring and a loving and a giving of himself for them. Are, are there a lot of Christian polygamists around the country? I would think so. Of course, that's that's relative. I mean, right. you know, I mean, there, there's not a million. There, basically, what happens is, and the the internet is what has made this possible. Okay. So why it never would have been possible in previous times of history, mm-hmm. because there is such a, uh, a hysterical reaction before actual investigation that very often one person may come to the realization and dare to actually say it and then uh, there'll be some kind of a crazy hysterical reaction from the church and they either have to leave or, or something of that nature you know but now what happens is that all these same people completely dedicated to the scripture 
then now the possibility of the internet and they discover you know what this is across the world i mean this is and different denominations this is not denominational based this is anybody who studies the scripture seriously 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 and only lets the word of god teach it by itself okay and does not hold does not start with what's called a presupposition are you familiar with that word what is the word presupposition uh, it, it's a, I'll break out the word from, you know what the word suppose is, right? Okay, yeah. Okay? A supposition is what you suppose. Okay. Okay? So a presupposition is what you suppose in advance of what you're about to do, about to believe. So in other words, it's your underlying belief as you approach a belief system. Okay. It's, it's your foundational belief. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, one of the primary presuppositions is that the Bible is the word of God. If you don't have that, then the Bible is meaningless. Okay. You have to presuppose that that is a true statement. All right. You see, I mean, that's a presupposition. Uh -huh. The if you go into the Bible with a presupposition that uh, that you're with with beliefs about what you think it says, mm -hmm. then you are imparting your bias upon it and not letting it speak for itself. So you have to shed those. Except, of course, that the, you know, if you're at least starting with the presupposition of, uh, of saved by grace through faith of Jesus Christ, and that the Word of God, you know, I mean, the standard belief of actual gospel salvation. Okay, you start with that presupposition, and then you shed the. Uh, you will. You say, you know what? I'm going to let the Bible teach me about polygamy on its own. Okay. I, I am going to. I'm not going to let. I'm not going to suppose it's bad. I'm not going to suppose it's good. I'm going to just let the word of God speak for itself. So you go into it with no preconceived notions. No presuppositions. Okay. Right. Let the scripture speak it for itself, because otherwise you're coming in with a preformed bias. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now understand that's what you, you at least have to. At least have the presupposition that the Bible is the word of God. However. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you don't believe that, then you're just, you know, being intellectual or, or, or right. anti-religious, I guess, at that point. Right. Uh, to be honest with you, even if you came from the, uh, without the presupposition that is the Word of God, if you did it on purely academic and, let the, and, and studied it uh, purely by itself, uh, I still don't think you could ever come to the conclusion that it is anything but uh, supportive of polygamy. And by supportive, that doesn't mean it's necessarily commanded. It's just it was never called a sin. Okay, so you don't have to be a polygamist. Absolutely. Okay. That's correct. That's a very correct statement. Okay, but do you have to accept polygamy? Well, actually, no. Okay. No, no, no not at all. There, it, there is no... Uh, and that's why, for example, it's not any connections to Mormonism whatsoever. Is there is no salvation based on it or anything of that nature. Okay. You know, there, there's, there's none of that. Understand, and this is why our organization is called Truth Bearer. Okay. Is this is about believing the truth because it's the truth. Uh huh. Okay. That and again, that's back to the the paradigm presupposition of all conservative evangelical Christians that it's the Word of God that teaches us, not man. Right. Sola Scriptura. And so, so we're about believing the truth for the truth's sake. And so we have created, uh, because the Internet has made it possible, we have been able, you know, Christians in their various churches now are able to find support that they're not alone. And certainly pastors are in an enormous pinchers, a, a set of pinchers, if you will, 
from above, they have the denominational hierarchy that holds them to a covenant of doctrinal orthodoxy, mm-hmm. which means that if they, as they see the reality of Christian polygamy as, as obviously a biblical uh, issue, their covenant of doctrinal orthodoxy with their denominational hierarchy won't let them say anything about it. Because then they'll be, they could be, they risk being fired. Yeah. That's from above. From below, their congregation, because their most churches are not really uh, that. Even though they preach it as a uh, a teaching to study the word of God, study the word of God, study the word of God yourself. Uh, a lot of people just simply they go to church on the weekend and let them let the preacher tell them what to believe, and then they go home and they just go off and live their lives. And and that that happens a lot to a lot of Christians. So they're just not strong enough. To, to understand the truth of this. So if uh, a pastor was to start preaching it to that church, many in the congregation could get scared and start leaving also, because there's not a lot of support yet for them, you know, so they think that their pastor's gone crazy. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So a pastor has great pressure, both from above and below, to be able to do this. Now, so we're providing that national support that when someone is ready to go public and, and face those you know, pressures locally. Now they can point to a national organization that's cross-denominational that it's you know that shows that they are not lone wolves, that they are actually genuine sheep uh, among all of us as Christians, brothers and sisters, and that uh, this is not a denominational thing, this is not a silly thing, and this is you know it's across the country, and so they're they're not individuals. So we give that we provide them with that uh, support even just by our existence. Okay. Do you think polygamy is an underground? Is kept underground in our country? Well, there's two things to understand about that. Uh, uh-huh. First is that you have to understand that there are different paradigms for how different people apply polygamy. The, a, a neutral noun is not modified by a missing adjective. Uh, you know, there's a difference between, when you, there's a difference of days. If you say a rainy day, it doesn't mean the same thing as a sunny day. And the same thing that Mormon polygamy is not the same thing as Christian polygamy, is not the same thing as Muslim polygamy, is not the same thing as secular polygamy. There's different fundamental reasons or how they would apply their polygamy. Right. You understand? Yeah. Okay. And because uh, the laws were actually created more of an anti-Mormon because of the Mormon presuppositions of uh, doctrine, doctrine and covenants, their their own scripture of uh, or scriptural text that they call it scripture, uh, doctrine and covenants one thirty two, uh, created their doctrine of polygamy, and, uh, and then the idea, the invented do- doctrine of uh, pre existence of souls, which is not a Christian doctrine, it's a Mormon invented doctrine. All those different types of things that uh, created what appeared to be an obligation that forced women into polygamy. That that's what caused people to uh, oppose the idea of forced, and we're not for forced at all. Uh, and certainly now, even now, there's there are Mormon polygamists that have a much softer approach also, but uh, the original creation of the anti-polygamy laws were more in response to uh, the Mormon religion at that time than it was to actual polygamy having an actual intellectual bearing okay. or discussion. Okay, so... So, oh, I'm sorry, your question about underground. I was bringing that up to law. I'm sorry, I'll finish the answer okay. here. What's that? No problem. Uh, the so that re- that's what led to laws and, and <coughs> excuse me the laws are uh, actually still unconstitutional if you read them. Uh, the 
Reynolds case of 1878 only applied to a territory, uh, but the, the law to which this, excuse me, the law to which the 1878 Reynolds case was upholding anti-polygamy laws, the original law was actually only applied to the territory of Utah, because if it had been applied to any state, the Tenth Amendment would have prohibited it, meaning that the Tenth Amendment says if it's not in the Constitution, the federal government doesn't have authority over it. Marriage is not in the Constitution, therefore the federal government would not have had authority. However, because anything that is not under the jurisdiction of states, therefore defaults to the territory, territories, etc., are not states, they default to the jurisdictional management of the federal government. And so, therefore, that falls under a different thing, uh, Article 4, Section 3, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution, that allows the federal government to basically manage territories. Okay. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't have a state jurisdiction, therefore, it's managerially defaults to the jurisdiction of the federal government. And the law, therefore, was written to the territory of Utah pre-state, before it was a state. And yet, the 1878 Reynolds case concocted a nationwide precedent to be imposed upon all the country. So it's actually, people talk about liberal activist judges, it's the liberal activist judges of 1878 that concocted a nationwide precedent upon a law that was only authorized by the Constitution based on the Tenth Amendment. Okay. I mean, based on the jurisdiction of the uh, Article 4, Section 3, Paragraph 2. Okay. So, the laws have then been brought throughout the country. For example, in the state of Maine, Maine has a... Uh, an anti-bigamy law, and I want to emphasize the difference between honest polygamy and dishonest bigamy. Sure. Dishonest bigamy is like the guy who uh, goes out and gets multiple marriages to women who don't even know it. Oh, God. okay. You see, that, that, okay. that we absolutely oppose. Right. We call that dishonest bigamy. Okay. All right, honest polygamy is all consenting. Okay. You follow? There's a whole difference. So the idea of having, you know, dishonest bigamy, you know, protected in law is, you know, that's contractual breaches and stuff of that nature, and, and, and we're, we're for that. So from that standpoint, that's, that's based. However, in terms of just honest polygamy, Maine itself has a profoundly anti-free speech law when it comes to polygamy. The uh, Title 17A in the Maine Criminal Code uh, part 2, the Substantive Offenses, Chapter 23, Offenses Against the Family, Section 551 is called bigamy. And first subsection 1 reads, A person is guilty of bigamy if, having a spouse, he intentionally marries or purports to marry, knowing that he is legally ineligible to do so. Hmm, okay. And then subsection 2, bigamy is a Class E crime. Now, this is so anti-free speech because it's legal for a man to be married and have a live-in girlfriend that all the consenting adults agree. The minute he executes free speech to say she's my wife, a crime's occurred. Okay, I see what you're saying. That is utterly anti-free speech. The act of free speech is criminalized in that law. And so, consequently, can't even say you can't even apply free speech. Some states are so bad. Idaho is so bad that you will lose your right to vote just for advocating polygamy. Really? Yes. How? That's how outrageous it's in the statutes in Romer v. Evans, uh, the case of 1996. Justice Scalia dissented 
against that particular case. That was about uh, uh, creating that said that uh, laws may not impermissibly target a class of individuals, and in that case, it was homosexuals. Um, he had brought out how the laws in the Idaho Constitution and laws had actually so targeted polygamists that that they could even lose the very right to vote, could even be disenfranchised. He says it remains to be seen how Colorado's Amendment 2 uh, was an impermissible targeting of homosexuals uh, any more than Idaho's uh, creation of uh, you know, disenfranchising people's uh, right to vote just from mere advocacy. So it's a, it remains to be seen how uh, the Colorado Amendment 2 is not an impermissible targeting of uh, homosexuals than the Idaho is of polygamists, unless, of course, homosexuals have more rights than polygamists. So the point is, is that there is such an oppressive set of laws that if people actually looked at them and realized them, they think, this is so outrageous. that it, it, there, It's even the attempt to prevent debate and an opportunity to discuss it. Right. It's, so if somebody wanted to become a polygamist in our country, would they, I mean, how, then how can they do it? Um, do they have one wife and girlfriends, or do they... Do they right, there's no legal marriage uh, for the second or third wife. Okay. That's, that's correct. You know, because currently right now, in most states, although there's actually a couple, for example, the state of Utah has a cohabitation clause in its anti-polygamy, so uh, even, even just cohabitation can be justification for uh, a charge of offense, but they've not done that in the modern era. Uh, in fact, all, all the cases relating to... Uh, uh, in the modern era about polygamy are either dishonest bigamy situations, which are, of course, completely wrong, or uh, actually relate to completely other issues, such as underage or uh, arranged marriages and force and that kind of a thing. Uh, but actually, in the modern era, nobody's actually been charged yet. But it's still a great risk. I mean, nobody wants to go to jail, right? right. Uh, but ultimately, the way it is typically uh, entered into with uh, consenting adults is indeed a an existing marriage by law recognized by law uh, basically a another wife will enter into the family and there will not be the uh, bringing in of uh, a marriage license so that the perspective of the government is just a uh, a married couple and a girlfriend shacking up gotcha. okay I mean that's anathema in the belief system but right. but that's just that's the legal viewpoint. The, uh, so I guess you would say it's underground, but the problem is is that there is such a backward stereotype perspective of what is actually involved that it, it's usually perceived ridiculously like it's somehow all advantageous and sexual for the man. But the reality is it's about man really growing up and caring that he's capable of attracting and holding a family together that the women w would consent and adult adulting would be so secure in their marriage that they are they have no problem with this and that he's a good man and actually is giving and caring and wants marriage and is pro-family pro-marriage pro-woman because actually if he's an idiot you know what's going to happen what? they're going to gang up on him <laughs> the, you know you, let's give women credit instead of it, it, it is so offensive that the argument that well he's going to be able to provide for all his wives and all that okay so in other words a man is just a sugar daddy and women are prostitutes Come on, give women more credit than that. Right. You know, women are far more intelligent than that. 
if anything, actually, what, what polygamy provides is options for a woman. So one woman wants to work, and that's what her choice, and she really wants to do. Another woman wants to stay home, and that's what she chooses and really wants to do. Well, this provides an option for one to be able to work, and knowing that her children are being raised by someone who shares her values and loves the children, instead of some low-paid stranger at daycare. Mm-hmm. So a man cannot be an idiot, <laughs> because the women are going to hang up on him. So, in, in your polygamy beliefs, um, what it then is man's role? Well, from the Christian polygamy, right, yeah, that that's you know simply being as uh, giving and caring and loving and uh, nurturing as uh, as Christ to the churches, as we said before. It's a uh, it's a we're talking about men that really love women. Okay. Really care about women. You understand, we are right now in the era of dumbs down males. As a consequence of the marital socialism, one for each, so that each might have one, that now we have marriage phobic males. It's the running joke in our country, right? Yeah. Men are afraid of marriage. Right. It's ridiculous. That's absurd. That's sick. We have marriage phobic males, players. Baby daddies. The fact that the word, the phrase, the term baby daddy is a recognized concept is sick. Yeah. That's sick. We, so th- that is the consequence of dumbing down males with marital socialism. And instead we should be having marital, laissez-faire marriage economics. That just as we have in... Uh, laissez-faire economic approach to business. So, I mean, can you imagine the idea of one customer for one business so that each business can have one? Then there's no incentive to improve or to be better. So now we're in, it, it's like, picture you've got ten men and ten women. Okay. Nine of those men are jerks, idiots, marriage-phobic, players, baby daddies. One man, one woman, marital socialism has now oppressed nine of those women, taking their options away. They either have to settle for the jerk the marriage phobes, mm-hmm. or the players, the baby daddies, and, and they, they don't have any options. Whereas instead, if you have laissez-faire marriage economics, the man who's grown up and is mature and is caring, now that some of those women have more options, and that, you know, the idea all the, men are good, all the good men are taken no longer applies, now those other nine men had better smarten up, or they're going to go without. It, and so they do. So it'll create an equilibrium that motivates, incent, creates an incentive for excellence and motivates these men to start growing up or they're going to go without. Okay. So this is not about you know, trying to uh, turn women into objects. It's about actually calling men to grow up. Okay, so it's sort of a wake-up call. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, gotcha. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a serious benefit for our society. I mean, think about it. We, are, we have the incredible tragedy of abandoned single moms. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horrible. And it's certainly not good for the children. And so, and yet at the same time, it's supposedly against the law for men to grow up who would actually say, you know what, this, this abandoned single mom and children, wouldn't it be better if so? If she's a second wife, at least this point now she's got a husband she, who cares about her children, cares about her, gives her options rather than being a hamster in a wheel working just to pay for daycare or, or stuck on a welfare trap? Right. So this is not about any kind of lasciviousness or, uh, you know, 
luxury sex life for some from man. That's just a foolish fantasy that does not apply. It's not, yeah. Women are more intelligent than that. It's not a sexual fetish or anything. Like Absolutely that. not. Because understand, women are smarter than that. I mean, let, 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 and again, this is really why we're talking about men that love women. Men that love women know women are smarter than that. We respect women. I mean, you're more intelligent than that. You're not, you know, some, some little uh, prostitute waiting for a sugar daddy. Right. It's ridiculous. So, this is about respecting women. Absolutely. And, and the fact that there's so many marriage-phobic idiots. And, and men coming up, coming up uh, to the challenge of... Growing up, basically. Caring. And see, the thing is, is that it's not to suggest that, you know, uh, suddenly all, all America is going to turn polygamous once it's, it's decriminalized. Right. It's just what happens when you have laissez-faire economics is you now create an incentive for excellence and an incentive for men to grow up. And at the same time, those who aren't growing up are going to go without as they should. And so, th and so it actually motivates them to smarten up. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So you're eventually you're still going to end up with equilibrium. There will still be the occasional polygamist, but it's not like suddenly everybody's going to, you know, all the, all, all, you know, all, all the women are going to be hoarded up and then, you know, you're going to have this massive population of men without women. That's just not going to happen either. Right. You know, but the thing is, is men are then going to smarten up and start learning how to care about women and, and, and learn what women are and who they are and, and, and how everyone is an individual with such wonderful talents and, and unique personality of her own to bring to, uh, to a relationship. So what do you see in, for the future in polygamy? Do you well, see it being legalized? Do you... We're after decriminalization, not legalization. Okay. And... This goes to what I said earlier about the difference in, in religious belief versus political. Uh -huh. That is, I am a true conservative, and that is, is I believe in limited government, true constitutionalism. Okay. And, for example, as I said about the Tenth Amendment, if it's not in the Constitution, the federal government has no authority to be involved in it. And I believe marriage is so important. How important? Hear what I'm about to say and think about it in the context of how oftentimes we'll hear those who support a big government marriage control amendment say that marriage needs to be protected. Mm -hmm. I believe marriage is so important. So important that I don't believe government should be abominating it by being involved, such as I we conservative evangelical Christians would be horrified at the abomination of a big government gospel licensing control amendment. Imagine if you had to get a license in order to be allowed to preach the gospel? God forbid! Or how about a big government baptism licensing control amendment? Well, you had to get a license from the government that it defines what baptism is and who's allowed to do it. God forbid. Marriage is that important that God forbid we have a big government marriage control licensing amendment. And that's really what it is. It's marriage control. It's, it's the, every argument being used by the supposed to be conservatives to justify a marriage control is the same liberal big government arguments that Democrats use to justify gun control. And so the point is, is that government should not be involved because government's only role is the protection of the individual rights from being infringed. And if no rights are being infringed with the 
contractual arrangements of consenting adults, then the federal government has no authority redefining marriage. Because truly, anti-polygamy is the real slippery slope that led to the current debate of the what I call the biological impossibility of same-sex marriage as a legal construct. If government had never been involved in first redefining marriage to exclude polygamy, and government was never involved in marriage, then homosexuals would not be seeking to have legalized marriage either. Now, certainly, that's the point. So what we're doing with polygamy rights as the next civil rights battle, we are not following or copying or riding the coattails of homosexuals. Instead, we are actually presenting to the country a final solution to end the marriage debate once and for all in a win-win for both sides of the debate. Because conservatives can get back to their true limited government conservative values by having government not involved whatsoever, and homosexuals can see a win in it as well because uh, they see that you know homosexuals that excuse me that uh, there's no special rights for those who choose homosexual behavior. There's also no special rights for those who choose one man one woman. So when government's not involved in marriage one way or the other, everybody has equal rights, and therefore the homosexuals can see a, see a, a win also. And so we're saying get government out of it altogether. Everybody can see a win. Everybody can save face politically. And we finally, once and for all, end this exhausting debate about government marriage, which really, government marriage is an invention. It never, it never took place in the Bible. In fact, not one man, not one woman in the Bible was ever married by government. Government marriage never existed. And that's what we need to get back to. So that's how, even though the definition of naaf would then say that a woman with multiple husbands would be adultery because she'd be having breaking wedlock each, with each new person, each new man. Even though religiously, I would not support that. That's called polyandry. And even though religiously, I would not support the biological impossibility of same-sex marriage because I'm an evangelical Christian. Right, right. As a true limited government conservative. Government's not involved in redefining marriage either way, and so whatever consenting adults want to do or imagine, homosexuals have the right to play house and imagine they're married. They don't have the right to redefine marriage. Okay. Nobody has the right to redefine marriage. So if they want to play house and imagine they're married, they have that right to imagine whatever they want. They have the right to imagine any foolishness, you know, seven moons swirling around their heads. You know, we all have the right to imagine whatever we want. As consenting adults. As consenting adults. And the only legitimate role for government in marriage is at the municipal level as a repository of the public records of the contractual arrangements that consenting adults make. And then after that, it's just you know, upon dissolution resolution, you know, court resolution of, of uh, contract resolution as already defined in the contract. Government has no authority to redefine marriage. Either way. And so everybody wins. And so that's how even though I religiously would not support the biological impossibility of same-sex marriage or polyandry, politically it doesn't matter what I believe because government doesn't define it anyway. So, so regard, it doesn't matter whether I, or not, I do or not. Right. You see the difference? I do, yeah. Okay. So that's why we're after decriminalization, get government from defining it altogether, because legalization goes down that slippery slope of saying, okay, well, this is allowed, this is allowed, this is not, and start, that, that's what leads to redefinition. Okay, I, uh, I understand, okay. So nobody has the right to redefine it, because, and here's your soundbite, marriage okay. predates government. Okay. 
marriage is an individual right. It is created by God. It never... Government would never define marriage in the Bible. Not one person in the Bible was ever married by government. So, has that answered the question that you had for that? That does. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I think pretty much you've answered most of my um, my questions. Um, I'm curious, though, why do you keep such a low profile? Well, because I am, uh, I'm, I'm the, the national polygamy advocate. Uh, the, the Christian polygamy has uh, emerged, you know, since '94, uh, and we have come to the forefront because we answer the two questions that nobody else could before. Right. Meaning that before anybody else knows, we can't be dismissed as Mormon. Muslim, liberal, lascivious, or anti-woman. Okay. We can't, you cannot possibly dismiss us under any of those ideas. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the phrase, only Nixon could go to China? No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, back, uh, even in years uh, as a politician before he became president, Richard Nixon was a very hardcore anti-communist. Right, I know that. Right. Okay. And you know China, of course, Mao Zedong and communism, right? Right. And the revolution. Okay. And you know about all the, the, the liberal peace protestings of Vietnam and all that, okay. and that was the whole communist situation, right? Yeah. Okay. But Nixon went to China and brought peace with them, with China. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And so and that's why we had relations. He's the one who made it possible to have relations with communist China. Right. If a liberal or a Democrat or McGovern had tried to do that, it never would have flown, because it would have been thought of as sympathizing or, or uh, subterfuge. Okay. You follow that? Yes, I do. But by being a rabid anti-communist, for only Nixon could do it, and it'd be believable and be solved. Okay. You follow that? Yes, I do. Well, we come as evangelical conservative Christians mm-hmm. in the same way. We are showing our fellow conservative evangelical Christians that one this is totally scriptural and two this is totally pro-loving woman and actually provides a, a positive incentive for improvement to our society and that's why our agenda the truth bearer agenda is uh, or the strategy that we're using is what we call the house of cards strategy uh-huh. can you conceive and I imagine you can uh, what, what happens when you kick out the first floor of a house of cards it, everything comes crashing down. Yeah. Well, anti-polygamy thinking in our country is a house of cards where each floor is a different political constituency. Okay. The first floor holding up that house of cards is our own fellow evangelical conservative Christians. Thinking that, one, that it's a sin, and two, thinking the thoughts that somehow it's not good for women. Uh-huh. Okay. But as we persuade them, because we are, we answer the conservative argument, we an- because of limited government, we answer the, uh, the morality questions of the biblicality, and because we do that, we are effectively kicking out that first floor. Then other floors, such as uh, liberals, for example, have to accept consenting adult polygamy purely because their tolerance doctrine automatically requires them to accept unabusive, uncoerced, non-abusive, uncoerced consenting adult polygamy, Tolerance obligates a liberal to accept that. Uh, feminists 
who believe a woman has the right to choose certainly have to support the idea of a woman who chooses this as an option. And so that floor comes crashing down. Uh, cultural conservatives would like to see uh, solutions for uh, the abandoned single mom and, and marriage-phobic male problems of our society. That floor comes crashing down, and pretty much else, everybody else is could care less, laissez-faire about what consenting adults choose to do. So as we persuade our fellow conservative evangelical Christians of the total scripturality of this, because we're continuing the Reformation, and that this is truly about men loving and caring women, caring for women, then we effectively kick out that first floor, and the house of cards of anti-polygamy all comes crashing down. Okay. You see the logic in that? Right. So I'm not sure how that relates to you um, keeping a low profile, though. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't know. It does. I, I just got to get to that conclusion. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> Because this is basically what thrust me to the to the national forefront. Okay. Because we've answered those two questions that nobody else ever could, both the conservative political rhetoric and the uh, morality questions of scripturality. Mm -hmm. Not that everybody is a Christian, but everyone knows one, and they always will encounter that argument. Sure. Okay? Yeah. We now answer both of those arguments. Every single biblical question about polygamy, you can find answered at a website, www.biblicalpolygamy.com. Okay. Answers every single question that uh, might be raised about Bible doctrine. Not Bible, believe, just biblicalpolygamy.com. Right, okay. Uh, and, and so we, we answer that. So that put me into the forefront as the national polygamy advocate. And so that's, you know, at that level, you know, television and newspapers and everything else, uh, I really have to be uh, be as uh, concerned about my personal life as possible, obviously. You know, I mean, it, I, I'm being thrust upon the national stage in a situation where, you know, around the country, some laws are just downright anti-free speech. Okay. You know, with the laws are so tyrannical. So is it for for your safety or? Well, certainly my family needs to be protected. Right. Okay. You know, but I I, I don't want to go into details. Okay. You no. Know, ultimately, it's my life. Uh, I mean, I have no criminal record or anything of that nature. You know, uh, and as the the press held reporter, you know, I mean, I'm registered to vote. You know, so I I am not some outsider. I've been in Maine for quite a while. Um, that uh, you know, I am definitely a Mainer. And I am definitely uh, a Christian, and definitely uh, uh, you know out on the national stage of this. So I have to be. It's about the rhetoric. It's about the principles, and it's about the freedom. And it's not about uh, me as some celebrity, as it were, I'm trying to put my family as a circus act on display. Okay. Okay. You follow me? Yeah, I do. You know, I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, that's why, you know, to keep my family protected, I mean, I'm, it's a national polygamy advocate. You know, I mean, I'm uh, advocating for it. I just don't go to Idaho, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Careful there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, dear Nick... Well, of course, I don't vote in Idaho, so I guess it doesn't matter. But, yeah. yeah, right, go ahead. Um, so, do your, do your neighbors then know who you are? Do they know... That's not a question I answer. Okay. That's fine. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to give personally identifying information. I'm not going to tell you, you know, uh, where I go to church, things like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
And do you answer questions about your personal marriage status? I mean, before well, you mentioned you, you said you were happily married. I am very, I am very, very happily married uh, in the double digits of years. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, very, very happily married. The um, we have a thing called the standard of Christian polygamy. It's called love, not force. Uh-huh. Uh, and they have a website called for, for it called lovenotforce.com. And what it, the standard of Christian polygamy is that a husband would never force polygamy on a wife who's not embracing it herself. Okay. Oh, you understand what I mean? Because if, see, this is about marriage, and marriage is about emotional and, and psychological and intellectual as well as physical intimacy. And if your marriage is not at that level of emotional bonded intimacy, that you're both on the same page, then there's no way you can bring in another wife because that's going to be tragedy all around. Sure. You follow me? Yeah. So anybody, any guy who thinks he can force polygamy, you know, on his wife, is that's not Christian polygamy under any under definition. That's so. I say that to mean I am an absolute practicer of love not force which is the standard of Christian polygamy so when you know so I can tell you I practice what I preach I preach love not force which is the standard of Christian polygamy do you follow what I mean yeah okay, okay. that uh, my wife is uh, my first wife was well, I don't want to say anything let's back up <laughs> okay love not force okay. with my family has always been applied. Okay. So you, so in your marital beliefs, you practice love versus love, not force. Love, not force. Love, not force. Yes. Uh, I'm very happily married. Uh, you know, and and my family obviously knows what I do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. If that's even necessary to say, I mean, it's probably you probably don't even have to go go there. Uh, except maybe in passing, talking about love, not force. But, um, yeah, I, I don't want to be the focus that way okay. in the article, really. But, you know, I, I'd like to stay off my family and, and life as much as possible that way. Gotcha. Um, yeah, except, of course, you know, that I'm a, biolog a born-again uh, evangelical conservative Christian. I mean, that, that's fine. Obviously. Oh, are you, are you, yeah. yeah. That's, that's my, you know, that's label identifiers, but that's okay. not identifying my personal life. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, and you, you could certainly say that I'm very happily married. I love marriage, and you've got to. <laughs> you know, this isn't marriage with a, uh, uh, a period. This is marriage with an exclamation point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love marriage. Okay. One last question then. Sure. So then, in polygamy, uh, the woman—it's—it's it's her choice to enter polygamy. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. There, there's there is not no uh, compulsion, um, no you know uh, salvation, no. You have to do. You have to be polygamous uh, in the Bible. The the closest thing you can come to that. Would be First uh, Corinthians ten to eleven and twenty seven to twenty eight, uh, which is a commandment of God uh, that says that a that when he, that believers are supposed to stay married uh, and that a husband is commanded not to put away a wife, 
but if she departs, uh, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. So those are the two things that are commanded. And then later it talks about a married man, if he's, whether he's been loose from a wife or not. Are you bound unto a wife? Don't seek a wife. Are you loose from a wife? Don't seek a wife. So either way, it's a married man, one whose wife is with him and another one whose wife is left. And then it says, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. So it's okay that he's married another. It even says that there in the New Testament. But you take that scenario of a man who's been loose from a wife, and he marries another, and he's not sinned, then you have to remember back in 10 to 11, it said that the wife is commanded to either remain unmarried or be reconciled. So if she would be reconciled to her husband, then she... Uh, then he is commanded to let her be reconciled to him okay. if she would come back. Right. Okay, even though he's now got the second wife. Okay. He's commanded to let the other one come back, and he's commanded not to put the second one away. Okay. You follow me? Yes, I do. So in that, you've got a commandment of polygamy in the New Testament. <laughs> but that's, that's a whole different kind of a thing. Right. That's not what you're talking about. Basically, you're letting the, the, the departed first wife return. But other than that, there is no compulsion. This is all about consenting adults. Ultimately, what happens is a man really invests himself in his wife, mature, loves, gives, you know, creates a security in her heart. She knows she is loved. She knows her marriage is secure. She knows she has a true, high-quality husband. And, she, and the idea of polygamy is not a threat to her. Okay. And that by and that's because of his giving. You can't you can't get a woman, and that no intelligent woman unless she has received that level of investment emotional to her emotional security is going to be able to accept it. You've got to have that growth. You've got to be able to give and help her have that security. And when so when you've done that and help invested that, then she's not threatened by it. She can then actually look around and see you know how uh, there's so many foolish guys out there, marriage phobic and all that, and say, boy, I got a good man. You know, and, and boy, this woman's situation, or this abandoned single woman, because that's actually a lot of times it does happen, a lot of times it will be an abandoned single mom joins an existing family, that uh, uh, then, you know, they'll talk, they'll, t you know, become, uh, they probably already are friends, uh, they get closer and closer, and then it just becomes a, uh, a larger family. Okay. You know, but it, again, you women are intelligent. You're smart, okay? You're not going to put up with a guy who's an idiot. Let's hope not, right. <laughs> well, I mean, granted, I mean, the, the, the point is, is that even if uh, a guy would be an idiot, eventually it's going to fall apart. Right. It, it's an in inevitability. Right. So anybody, any guy who thinks he's going to pull it off and doesn't grow to that maturity level, I mean, he's already self-sabotaged. Right. That's what we're saying. Okay. And so um, I think you probably answered this before, but let me just ask you to skip this. Sure. Um, so... Somebody who has two or three wives versus somebody who has, or more, or whatever, right. versus somebody who just has one wife. They're not better. It's just a different choice. Or it, it, It's not saying that polygamy is a better option. First Corinthians right. 7 17 is, you know, as the Lord has given everyone, as the Lord has distributed to every man, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Be it no wife, one wife, or more than one wife, it's only as God would call. It's only, it's only a matter of freedom. It's not a matter of compulsion. Okay. But Certainly. I would, I would not say that uh, polygamy is superior to monogamy. Okay. But I would say that the laissez-faire laissez free market economics of polygamy creates an incentive for men to become superior from what they are presently. Right. 
Okay. Does that make? I mean, there's a difference. I don't want to, you know, make it sound like you know polygamists are some, you know, uh, Superman or whatever. But it's right, an incentive right, yeah. for men to grow up, and and have to keep working it. I mean, the dynamics. Uh, the press herald kind of got my quote kind of funny. Uh, I said, you know, the dynamics of of another wife is not multiplied; it's geometric. Uh, not geometric. there's no such thing as geometrified, as, as far as I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Basically. Two times two is multiplied, right? Yeah, sure. Two to the squared, or, or, or you know, uh, two times two to the squared is a geometric progression. Okay. All right, so in other words, it's like, uh, or say three. Three, nine, 27. See how it just increases vastly? Yeah. Well, multiplied, you know, three, six, nine, 12, doesn't multiply, doesn't go up as fast. Doesn't involve as much. So the point is that the dynamics, you know, for every reaction with with one wife, you've got a reaction with another wife. Okay. So you don't just have multiple. You know, I've got one wife, one issue here, and one issue with there. I've got one issue here, which means a sub issue with her, and uh, and uh, now that I have now this other one, I've got a issue with her, which means I got a sub issue with the first one. Okay. You know, so you've got more than just multiplied. You've got a geometric progression of increased dynamics. And so if you can't handle the emotion uh, issues that are involved in a relationship with one woman, it, the, the increases are geometric, in meaning that much larger than even more than just multiplied. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, that, I think, just about sums it up then. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't have any, any other questions. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um, well, first of all, have you? How much of the website have you seen? Um, I did look through it briefly um, last week. Okay. Yeah, I haven't really gone into huge depth with that, but. Okay. Well, I just I don't know how much you know of the history of the movement or anything of that nature. Um, not a whole lot. If okay. you want to just you know give me a brief. Well, uh, they'll. There, you actually can get that from following through uh, truthbearer.org forward slash, uh, I think it's like polygamy history or something. Um, okay. Yeah, you, you, or, or go to the site map. Um, well, yeah, or I suppose if you want, I can send you a couple URLs. Okay. URLs. Right, so what would actually then... Alleged- if that mattered. I mean, I don't even know if it really mattered to you. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's always you know, good to get some back. Sure. Um, what, what exactly then is truthbearer.org? We are a cross-denominational, Christ-centered, spirit-led, scripture-believing organization bringing Christian polygamy to the churches. That uh, basically providing a support for individuals in their own churches, uh, some needing to be quiet right now, but as they're ready to uh, be public, uh, we're providing that support and uh, by being in the national exposure and all that, providing them with the demonstration that they're not alone when they are ready to bring it to uh, their own individual churches. We are continuing the reformation of Sola Scriptura. And aside from the website, um, do you do publications? Um, What do you do? Well, we do... uh, we actually we do distribute press releases and things of that nature to the media. Um, in fact, actually, uh, that there's a website called pro-polygamy.com. Uh-huh. Uh, make sure you get the pro dash in there because it's it's pro polygamy, not just polygamy. It's pro-polygamy.com. Um, and that is a news distribution site uh, for the pro polygamy view. And we uh, 
actually, I can get your email address into that list that when uh, op-eds or uh, press releases are distributed to the media through that uh, secular media distribution site, uh, you would get a copy as well, if you'd like. Sure, yeah. If you're interested in that. If they only go out like once a month or so. Okay, sure. Because um, sure. they just want to be over-spamming. Right. Um, but just basically, you know, current events as uh, seen through the uh, pro-polygamy view. And... We, you know, we've done that. You know, we've, we've distributed uh, press releases. For example, when uh, Warren Jeff was arrested uh, that day, we distributed a press release through there. Uh, glad that he had been arrested. You know, and that uh, noting how he's actually not been wasn't wanted for actual issues of anything to do with polygamy. You know that uh, it's just it's being accused of uh, uh, being connected to polygamy, but what they're after him for has nothing to do with polygamy. You know, so we we we've done that, uh, and certainly get, uh, getting uh, you know numerous national media attention, uh, speaking out on uh, on current events, and and you know being a public spokesman so that uh, when issues relating to our topic are in the media, uh, we're there and providing that uh, exposure so that individuals can. Uh, Know that they're not alone, and also the same, you know, be able to show other people, you know, that uh, this is a, this is really, you know, this is what we're doing, and we also provide uh, support, I guess would be the way to put it, without trying to get into too much details of our inner workings, the, uh, you know, how to, uh, when bringing the arguments to individuals and, and churches and so forth, how to best do so. You know, okay. you know, guide, you know, guidance on uh, on scriptural arguments. You know, the right. and things of that nature on, on when on how to. Because again, we're bringing this to our fellow Christians. You know, so that's why uh, why we, you know, for example, we can never be called a cult, or whatever, because we're going outward. We're not inward. <laughs> you know, we're we're all our, we're all in our different cross denominational viewpoints. You know, it's not limited to any denomination, uh, and the, that itself shows that it is a uh, uh, a valid issue. Ultimately, we are evangelical Christians who have studied the Word of God and realize that the emperor has no clothes. Anti-polygamy is an invention of the Catholic institution centuries after Christ went to the cross. It is not a biblical doctrine anywhere to be found. And all those answers, all the questions can be answered at biblicalpolygamy.com okay. or truthbear.org. We've got various tracks and stuff too. But I just meant, I mean, biblicalpolygamy.com is devoted only, basically it lists out the dozens of polygamists in the Bible and answers all the arguments. Right, I'll, I'll check them out then. Sure. Okay, great. Well, thank you for talking to me. Super. So this will appear on Saturday. Yeah, I don't think it's, I think we already have a column for this Saturday, but I'm not sure. So it's either be this Saturday, but probably the, ne the Saturday after. Oh, okay. Yeah. The following Saturday. Right. Okay. So that way, in the meantime, if it isn't this Saturday, then you will, uh, if you have issues with the, the photograph and all, we can talk more. Yes. Definitely. Certainly. Or, or if you have follow-up uh, concerns or questions. Okay, yeah, I can give you a call. I Super. Great. Okay, well, again, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks now. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Mark Henkel is National Polygamy Advocate, presenting polygamy to the public since 1994. NationalPolygamyAdvocate.com